trouble, guys. Somebody didn't pay the light bill. Broadcasting you live from the Badlands of Texas, I'm Jerry Adams. You're listening or watching Midnight Radio. I appreciate it. We're broadcasting all the way from Southern Australia, all the way around the world to Northern Ireland. Hello, friends. So glad you joined me today. It is a beautiful day to be on the Internet, isn't it? I'll tell you what. How about that Johnny Vincent, guys? How about that Johnny Vincent? If you guys were tuned in earlier, you saw the pre-show. And we have Johnny Vincent. What is a pre-show? It is our music radio stream that we share with you in the in the chat room. It's the only show that does it. It started here first. You'll be able to tell everybody that. So before we begin, before we begin our show today, there's something I want to cover. First off, how, how am I sounding today? Am I sounding better? Some of you guys said you couldn't hear me yesterday. I'm going to talk about that. That was because of a wonderful Microsoft update. I just love how they take their little fingers and they jam it up your computer when you're not looking, not suspecting. And you say, Jerry, all you have to do is not update your computer. And I have to tell you, I didn't. There's no update to have. This is a special computer that I only use for broadcasting. Nobody's allowed to touch it. Nobody touches it. It has this one purpose and this one purpose only. And yet they still reach in there and change things. They, ch- they changed my general audio level settings. They changed it from a 65 to a 45. So you guys had about 20-something percent difference, right? So it should be good today. You shouldn't have to turn your YouTube all the way up. Although if you do have problems, let me know. Just let me know if it's the mic or the music or the background music or the video music. Just let me know. Here's some of the things we're going to go over today. We're going to go over some new information I have about, and believe it or not, it does come in just about on a daily basis. I don't make this stuff up like some people do. Information about the Idaho 4 case and Brian Kohlberger. Some people make some stuff up. Some people grab it. There's a big controversy out there today about Ashley Banfield. And they feel like she's being, playing the role of a dirty reporter. Is this true? What do you think about it? We're going to get into that tonight very soon. We also, let me go through all these real quick. I've got a lot on the Idaho 4. It's the Idaho 4 heavy night, really. And then we're going to talk about the Alex Murdoch trial. We have a man that's going to talk to us. He's one of us in our group here who's been following this since the inception of it. And he's going to break it down. And he's going to talk about the newest things that are happening in this trial. We did watch it today in the Discord. So for those of you that are members... Thank you very much. We watched it together on Discord. And I have some really bizarre news from just, you know, from the general news cycle that maybe you guys haven't heard of. Maybe you have. All right. I'll tell you what. I wanted to go over something we went over last night. I know there was a lot of you guys that were disturbed at some of the things that were being said on both sides. Does a woman who's in an abusive relationship 
have any responsibility for that abuse? Does she have the responsibility for not leaving? And if something goes bad, she holds some of the blame. Some people thought so. Some people do not. And it was argued on both sides pretty well, I thought. And considering the discussion, I think all heads were pretty cool in the matter in discussing it. Now, in the chat room, that's a different a different matter. But I heard another view on it. I'm going to try to get that lady on here right now to talk to us about it. Because she has some very good points. And I wanted you guys to hear it. So that's how we're starting off today. Hello. Hello. I just wanted to bring you on here to go over some of the points that you made last night about regarding does a woman bear some responsibility for the abuse she receives for not leaving. Oh, okay. We can talk about that. All right. Let's talk about that. You have some good points. Hello everybody. This is miss midnight, by the way, for those of you that don't know, she's one of our DJs. Her stream is definitely on the top four. (laughs) <laughs> all right so what what would you want to tell us about this well i feel like when it comes to any kind of domestic abuse or essay or anything even psychological abuse it's unfair to group all situations together like everybody's situation is different and everybody's the way their mind works is different based on their life experience. And it's really unfair to group it all together. And when you shame or blame any victim, you set a dangerous precedent that discourages others to reach out for the help they need. So maybe just playing devil's advocate, there are some victims who brought it on themselves or made bad decisions. When you openly say that, then there might be somebody else who wants to get out of their situation. And then because you're shaming people for staying so long, they're like, well, if I come out and try to get help, then everybody's going to know that I let my kids go through this for as long as I have, or that I didn't have enough self-respect to reach out sooner. So I'm just going to shove it under the rug and cover it up and try to make it like everything's okay because I'm afraid of what people will think of me. Or maybe they've already gotten out of the situation and because of the victim shaming, they're afraid to get professional help from a psychiatrist or a support group or something that they need. You know, it's just, I really don't think it's fair to openly say now if you have a personal experience and there's somebody in your life that you feel should have done something and it personally affected you please discuss that with your therapist but to openly say oh well I blame victims because my mom or you know somebody didn't do what they should have done 
that's not fair to the other people who might have a totally different experience than what they had or what you had. And I would also like to point out that not only women get abused, men also get abused and assaulted. So I'm going to try not to say women in any of the points I bring out unless it, I feel like it specifically applies to women. You told me about an experience your grandmother had. Did you want to share that with us? I thought that was yes. informative. Yes. So my grandmother had, she was married at a very young age and she had 10 children with the same man and was married to him the whole time. And he performed, I'm not going to go into all the gory details, but let's just say that he performed every type of abuse imaginable upon his wife and his children. And she gathered up all those kids one day when he was at work and she went and spoke to a lawyer and she said, look, this man is abusing my children. He's cheating on me. He's doing all these bad things and I want to divorce him and I want advice on how to get out of this situation. And the lawyer looked over all the information and he said, you're safer staying with your husband because you have all these kids and you can't afford to support them. So if you want to keep your kids and, you know, basically eat and live, then you're better off staying in that horrendous situation that you're in. So sometimes women reach out for help and they're discouraged by people that are supposed to help them or at least direct them to somebody else that can help them. There's just so many, there are so many different variables that go into these situations. There are people that are systematically programmed sometimes from birth to be compliant even in unreasonable situations they're taught if you're in a serious relationship with a man then his word is law he's the head of the household you do not defy him and if you're trained like that for decades and then one day you realize oh this situation has escalated to a point where i should stand up for myself you're not going to be able to reprogram decades of conditioning in a matter of minutes or months or maybe even years you know some people have to have extensive therapy for a very long time to even learn that they have the option of setting boundaries and standing up for themselves you know i haven't talked about this very much but especially not with you since you are my wife for those of you that don't know this is miss midnight for those of you just tuning in uh, my first marriage was extremely abusive and i haven't talked about that before you know on the internet or anywhere else really and there's several factors that go on that and i'd almost want to say that a man well i can't speak for one but a man would men stay in an abusive relationship for a long time because well, for me, after I came back, after I got out of the military, while I was in the military, I put her through college. And after I got out, she was being paid more than I was, you know, because I was out of the military, right? And her job that she had was the reason why we moved into a new area. So I was completely, I was completely um, under that control of that. And we, we bought a house, we moved to a new place. She made sure that her name was the one that was on the mortgage, so she had control that way. And 
uh, it was very hard to find a job at that time. And uh, I made less than she did when I found a job, and she used that and held that over me. Now, it also got violent, too. You know, she would get violent. Uh, the kind of abuse we're talking about is for the slightest thing that upset her. I'd sit there on the couch. And she would stand in front of me for literally three to four hours and scream and yell at me. And most of the time it didn't get physical, but sometimes, yeah, it would. And I'm talking about her, not me. Remember this one time we were, she had a job where she had to travel for a few months and I went with her for a part of that time. And we were in uh, Seattle, Washington. And I, I can't remember what we were talking about, but it was not that big a deal. And she just, she hit me. She called the police because I didn't do, I wouldn't take out the trash or something ridiculous. I don't remember what it was, but I do know it was insignificant. And then she called the police on me and then she hit me before they got there. So then we had the police asking, did anybody hit anybody? And right before they came, I go, you did what? She said, I called the police. I go, for what? When when they come here, they're going to ask you if you hit me. You better tell them no. Police came. They asked, did anybody hit anybody? And she said no, and I didn't say anything. So she didn't go to jail. But it got to the point to... I know I don't know what a man would do, but I know I would never, never, just because my wife wanted to leave me, purposely try to ruin everything in her life. So when I was going to college, I finally got to go to college. She foreclosed on my house. She made it to where she was the person that was in charge of paying the rent, which had been my job up to that point. She decided she didn't trust me with that. She was going to do that. She didn't do that. She missed some payments. So she missed two payments and they started the foreclosure and they foreclosed on the house and they got to the point where we could have saved the house, but she decided not to. So she made me homeless while she was doing some traveling job for the government for the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. Made me completely homeless. The next thing I know, I'm living in my brother's trailer in the woods in Tennessee. That was the best thing that ever happened to me, though, in hindsight. And I'm glad no children came out of that relationship. But it was the most, and and uh, me sitting there and having her yell at me for hours over the most insane stuff, she'd be driving home. Nothing happened. And I'm not even hiding. I'm not even changing the fact. She would call me out of the blue on the phone, on her drive home from work, and just yell at me. Sometimes it was humorous. It was so surreal. But, and God, you know, God be with the person she's with now, you know. And this is, you know, I I know that people need, some people need therapy and some people talk to therapists, but I'm thinking therapist doesn't work for some people because they're not willing to do it. They're not willing to put in any work. But that's really all I have to say about that. But it does happen to men too. And if I sit here and I wrote down the story, you know, that would be probably more detail for you guys. But yeah, there's, um, I was stuck for, I don't know how long I was married. Was it 15 years? I think it was about 15 years. Um, Mrs. Midnight and I are pretty much newlyweds. Yeah. 
but and you can you can go ahead yeah and i'll admit i've never i've never been in a serious relationship where i took a beating from a man i've been psychologically abused by men that i was in a relationship with but i was essayed i want to say 23 years ago and because i'd been exposed to so much when things happen it's your fault and seen too many movies and you know where they're like what were you drinking what were you wearing why were you there you know they they try to put it on the victim that i never press charges and i didn't even tell my own family for a few weeks after it happened and I didn't seek help from a therapist until last year. So just the stigma around it and the way women are trained, I wouldn't even call it what it was for years. You know, I would like put it like taken advantage of or something that didn't actually say what it, it was a pretty brutal experience, you know, and it's just because sometimes women are taught you know that things that happen to them are their fault or you know that men have the authority in situations and a lot of times it's this person wasn't somebody i was in a relationship with but they were supposed to be my friend and i trusted them and i didn't have any more contact with them after it happened and they actually they fled to a town that was several hundred miles from where they lived at the time that it happened and never came back, you know, but who says if, if I was in a relationship with that person, that things might not have been different, that I might not have been compliant and stayed with them because of how I was conditioned to think that, you know, the man has the authority and, that I'm supposed to listen and maybe it was something I did that brought it on, you know, I don't think this generation that's coming up now is raised that way. And I think that we should train, we should train our children, not just daughters, but sons to stand up for themselves and, you know, not to be victims, but it's more important to teach all children not to be predatory because that's where the fault lies. Words like fault and blame are too strong to use towards victims. The person who committed the crimes is the person who's at fault or to blame the other people that may have somehow put their self in that situation. You don't know why that happened the words fault and blame should not be applied to those persons and we should teach all children not to be predatory and to show compassion for people that may have already been damaged by past trauma or not be able to stand up for themselves for whatever reason we don't know about that's the important thing to teach our children if there were no predators then we wouldn't have to worry about who was to blame for what happened I don't think I mentioned this and I don't know that it matters, but the woman I was married to was seven years older than me. So do you think the way you were raised helped contribute to your letting yourself become a victim? 
or you're not taking care of the issue right away or reporting it? Definitely the not reporting part. What do you think were some of the contributing factors? Well, the way I was raised, my father didn't sexually abuse me or beat me, but he was so strict and so powerful that I was taught never to defy him for any reason, any time whatsoever, you know, so it kind of made me like have this, this reverent fear of men that made me not want to defy them, especially if I was in a serious relationship with them. Until you met me. And I was also taught, you know, not to dress in a certain way and not to act in a certain way to where when something did happen, I felt like it was my fault or I somehow brought it on. Even though when I was essayed, I wasn't dressed inappropriately and, but I was in a place I shouldn't have been and I had been drinking. So for years and years and years, I felt like that at least part of the fault lied in me until I discussed it with the therapist and they were like, no, that's not how that works. They shouldn't have even been serving you alcohol because you weren't even 21 at the time. I know that some of that reflects in our relationship. For example, I might say something like, I don't know who the hell left the back door open. And it was obviously me, you know, mm-hmm. some dumb butt left the back door open. And then you automatically take offense. Like anything I ever say with a frowny face and a raised voice, like I'm blaming you that you did it. Yeah, I tend to, um, like if somebody asks me a question, I take it like I need to come up with the answer that's least likely to put me in hot water. Even if I've done nothing wrong and the other person is not thinking I did anything wrong, my brain goes to, is this a loaded question and is the answer going to get me in trouble? And that's something I'm working on with my therapist not being defensive like that. A lot of these things are hard to talk about because a lot of people have experience in this and, you know, you can talk about this stuff and you'll see, you know, people just stop, they stop talking about it. Some people leave. Oh, it's too hard. I think it needs to be brought up. And I think that's a good point that you brought up. People should be taught, trained not to be predators. Where do they get this from? How does somebody go around treating people like that and not know that they're an asshole. How is that possible? I wonder using abusing people. They just don't care. Um, they don't have the conscience that a normal person has. A lot of people like to use the term narcissist. Thank you for sharing. Is there anything else you wanted to, um, bring up regarding Um, this matter? I did want to bring up something about, your caller last night, which I'm not going to lie, she kind of triggered me with some of the stuff that she said, but I waited until I kind of calmed down before I made any comments. She was talking about how as soon as somebody does something out of line, you leave right then. But in most situations, and again, 
you can't compare situations because everybody's different. A lot of times in those situations, when the people first get together, they don't show those signs, especially if it is a narcissist, which not all abusers are narcissists, but they start out being really sweet and attentive to the person and they don't start showing how they can really be until after they have kids with the person or they get married to the person or that person is financially dependent on them or even emotionally dependent. And a lot of times they've already over a period, gradual period of time, they've isolated them from their friends, maybe even from their family. So they start to feel like they don't have anybody to turn to and they don't know how to survive or like, Gabby was out in the middle of nowhere with the dude. You know, I don't know what her personal situation is, but I think that he probably was much nicer to her in the beginning of the relationship until he kind of reeled her in and then it became her normal because it was a gradual process. Well, you told me that and I then, used to be nicer. Is that the and same they thing? Like wear down their confidence and isolate them away from the people that could help them. And then they don't, it's a false feeling, but they feel like they don't have any other options but to stay. And yes, that's a choice they make, but some people, because of past trauma or the way they were raised or whatever, they don't realize that they have other options because their brain doesn't work that way. Not to make this about me, but you, you say sometimes I used to be nicer to you when we first got together. Is that something that just naturally happens in relationships? Yes, I think that does happen in relationships that people are nicer to each other in the beginning because they're like in the honeymoon phase. But then when somebody's an abuser, it's just to the extreme. It's like putting a frog in some water and boiling it. And it's like slowly, you know, if you turn it, if you throw them directly in the hot water, then of course they're going to jump out. But if it's a gradual process and it's slowly getting hotter and hotter and hotter, they'll stay in there until they die. That's how it is with some abusive people that are manipulative. They start out just one day, they'll just do something little bitty inappropriate and then they'll apologize and sound sincere or they'll convince the other person that what happened wasn't really as bad as it was or it was their fault. And then it just gets worse and worse and worse as time goes along and they're already brainwashed into thinking that it's their fault or that they don't have other options. And then, you know, the next thing, you know, they're dead or, you know, some of them wake up one day and they leave, but it's a really hard process to leave. And like I said earlier, sometimes they go and try to get help and the people aren't particularly helpful. So how has help helped you? Well, I wasn't in a relationship with the person, so I didn't ever have to have any contact with them. And then I think therapy has helped me because it helped me not to feel guilty like it was my fault or something I did. And just having somebody to talk to about things in ways that I wouldn't talk to somebody else. And because I have trust issues, I know that legally they can get in trouble if they tell it to somebody else. So it just makes me feel safer because that's a big issue with people that have endured trauma is not feeling safe 
What was the one thing you told me that your therapist said to said something about people not being able to leave? Um, Do you remember no, what that was? It was you mean about the joy thing about how? Yeah, let's talk. Tell me about that real quick. I compared um, saying that people have made their own choices in staying in trauma to the way a lot of people that have toxic positivity they go to a depressed person or a person with severe anxiety and they say well all your problems could be solved if you would just choose joy you have to wake up every morning and choose joy and you can't let anybody take your joy from you you know it's your choice to let them take it nobody can take it from you without you letting them and I mentioned that to my therapist that somebody had said that to me and she said that's it's not the same for everybody. Choosing joy is not a one-step process for everybody, especially if they've endured trauma, you know, or been programmed to live life a certain way by the way they were raised or about a relationship. She said that um, some people have been conditioned to believe that giving away their joy is a requirement, that they've been taught to do that that to be a good person, you have to do that. And then, you know, something that took a really long time to establish is not going to be torn down in a couple of sessions or because somebody told you, don't worry, be happy. You know, you can choose joy and it's still not change everything overnight. You have to, you have to work at it sometimes for years before it actually starts to manifest itself in your life. Thank you for sharing with us tonight. I appreciate it. Oh, yes, and I did want to point out one thing about the Gabby Petito case, which this might be an unpopular opinion, but and a lot of the stuff I mentioned doesn't actually apply to her, but the point is that everybody's situation is different. I really feel like if those cops, not that she deserved it, but for her own safety, if those officers had arrested her that night so that they could get her by herself and find out what was really going on, she might not be dead today. If they had said, oh, well, you admitted that you smacked him and they took her to jail just so they could get her by herself and kind of get her more comfortable and calm down and speak to her. It may have saved her life. We don't, we'll never know that, but she would have been safer sitting in jail than she would have been out there in the middle of the nowhere freaking out with somebody she didn't feel safe with. They had a relationship for a long time, and he only killed her then. He killed her that once. You think, I'm thinking you might be right. If, if they were taken away, one of them went to jail, and it was a process, that might have diffused what happened. Absolutely. I think that yeah. their their par- her parents that are suing the police department has a really good case there. Mm-hmm. Again, thank you for calling in. I really appreciate it. All right. All right. You have a good night. You too. You gotta watch that boy. I hear him running around. All right. I'll be trying to watch in the chat. All right. It was Miss Midnight, everybody. Thank you very much. So again, if you guys are just tuning in, we're talking about, this is kind of a debriefing for 
the show we had last night, we were talking about DV, a DV cycle, and we had two opposing sides of two opposing sides of being in DV. The premise being this, and this was from the from the chat, not from me, but the premise was: is a woman responsible for continuing in the abuse, not saying no, and not leaving? And does she hold some of the responsibility for what's happening to her or not? And we heard two sides of that from our callers that I'm thankful they called in last night to talk about this, both sides. And um, I talked to Mrs. Midnight this morning, and, you know, everybody got worked up about these calls last night for good reason, for good reason. And she had something to say, and I'm like, well, that's really good. Why don't you call call in, and we'll talk about that more because – it takes it deeper, deeper into it. More information is always good. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and go into the news now. Uh, we'll open up the phone lines here. Maybe at the end of the show, if you guys still want to talk about that, then let me know. I have some information, of some more information here about Nothing Burger. Oh, hold on. So we just talked about this DV issue again. So, while it's still fresh on your mind, if you have something you want to say about this, why don't you go ahead and call it now, leave me a voicemail message, and I'll play it when we get to that part in the show. 325-261-0892, that's 325-261-0892. Well, we're already 34 minutes in the show. Wow. I need to thank some people, don't I? I'd like to thank our executive producer, Sir Grant, thank you very much. I'm telling you, all the money from the show, it goes to get our music license, every cent of it. All the production costs, that comes from me. That comes out of my money. But the money that this show brings in, it, it is put away, never touched. And it's being raised for that music license we're about to get. If you guys tune in the pre-show, which in uh, Central Standard Time starts at 4, then the show starts at 5. But we have a stream an audio stream going on in the chat room where we hang out, we listen to the music spun by the DJs. We have we have different DJs right now. We have four of them. Mrs. Midnight's a DJ. I'm a DJ. We have DJ Johnny Vincent and DJ Hot Ham. And we do a pre-show an hour before the show starts. So if you haven't heard that yet, it's a hell of a show. You're missing out. And all this music is for our music license so we can stream the music 24 hours a day, all the hits, seven days a week. Um over the whole world, not just in the United States. But even though the money doesn't go to support this show and doesn't keep this show really on the air, it does in a way because I come from a background of video production and writing. So if this, if this come doing these lives isn't working and you guys don't enjoy it and you guys don't have any value from it, I think that if you don't have value, then you don't give value back. I know when I watch creators do lives and I like it, even our DJs, I'll send cash apps because I enjoy their work so much. And if you're not enjoying our work, then I'm doing the wrong thing. I'll go back to doing videos. And I, I mean this, and it's not a threat. That's not what I'm talking about. But for example, we're about to talk about Cronenberger and and uh, the gag order and some other things, right? I could just cut those up and put those in individual stories if that's the way you'd rather have it. And if there's no value given back, that's what I, I'm thinking. So again, Grant, he's keeping us on the air here and we're going to get that music license. We're looking at that hill. 
And that's what I work on behind the scenes every day with uh, bureaucratic paperwork and things like that. So thank you so much. I also want to thank Susan Bennett. Susan Bennett, and I just saw her. She just came up in chat. I want to thank her, too. Oh, 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 I got my list. Hold on. This is important. I know some of the people I named yesterday. I want to thank her. She just, she's in chat. Actually, I want to thank Taylor. Taylor, thank you so much. That money's going to our, our music license. I appreciate it so much. Our crew works very hard, very hard. We have a really good group of DJs. We have some new ones coming in. So thank you all for that. So Taylor, Taylor's a producer. Our executive producer is Grant, and our other producer is Susan Bennett. Thank you guys very much. I'm going to continue the show here. And uh, I'll, I have some voicemails that I'll play here in a little bit. When we open that up, let's look at this first story here, guys. This is a short one, but it's some information you guys might be interested in. I'll just throw this up there. This is Yahoo News. Did you know that Jerry used to work for Yahoo News? Hey, how about that? That's when they actually did used to be a news service. 30 news groups asked Idaho Supreme Court to reject gag order in quadruple murder case. 30 news groups. 30 went to the Idaho Supreme Court to reject the gag order. The challenge filed Monday evening comes just a few days after an attorney uh, representing the family of one of the victims, the Gonsalves family, filed an opposition to the gag order in state court saying it overly it was overly broad in places and put undue burden on the families. He said a hell of a lot more than that. He called it unconstitutional. Brian Cole Berger, nothing burger as we call him here, is charged with four counts of first-degree murder and burglary in connection with the stabbing death in Moscow, Idaho. Prosecutors have yet to reveal if they intend to seek the death penalty. The coalition of news organizations, which includes the Associated Press, contends the gag order violates the right to free speech by prohibiting it from happening in the first place. So this is interesting because the gag order doesn't affect the press other than those lawyers who are involved in the case and the victims who are directly in the suit. Actually, it's not even, it's not even the victims. But the lawyers are not supposed to be able to talk. The Gonzalez family is suing, saying this is unconstitutional. So where does this fall? Does this fall to where they're saying the whole gag order, and by them, I mean the news organizations are saying this is unconstitutional, this isn't right, on the behalf of the family, saying that the family and the lawyers should be able to talk? Or are they saying that all of it should be thrown out? We have a, we have a part of the story we have coming up with our, our buddy, our news goddess of the show, Ashley Banfield. We're going to talk about what she's going through right now and what she did. Oops, she did it again. She got y'all mad. She got lost in the game. We're going to talk about that. And this has to do with this, very much so. So Ashley got some information, and she put it out about Kohlberger's employment 
history. And some of you guys are upset about that because you're talking about the violation of the gag order. Put a pin in that. We'll talk about that in a minute. What do you guys think about this? 30 news organizations, are they suing for the uh, Freedom of Information Act, saying that you should give us this information? Well, we're going to keep looking at this and going over it. In the gag order, Marshall said the free speech restriction was needed to protect Kohlberger's right to a fair trial. More speech does not mean a less fair trial. The speech at issue must be the kind that could prejudice a jury. And even when public publicity may cause prejudice, the answer is not always to suppress the speech. Olson wrote, other remedies like the passing of time, a change in venue, uh, jury instructions, and jury sequestration can cleanse any jury taint without offending the right to free speech. Despite the great public interest in this case, there have not been any notable leaks of information until today is what you guys are saying. You're saying today it's been violated. This came out yesterday, but you're saying today there's been a violation. You've been violated. Susan is Susan A in chat. If she's still there, if she hasn't ran off because things got a bit serious earlier. She is starting something called Shamfield. Hashtag Shamfield. Maybe she'll tell us about that. Maybe she can focus her thoughts and call in and tell us her beef she has with Shamfield. If you call in, Susan, I might be able to get Susan I might be able to get Banfield on the phone with you. Would you would you like to talk to her face to face? I know you wouldn't want to go up against Nancy Grace. Or um, Sherry Echo. The news organizations in the coalition would have published additional information about the slangs if the gag order wasn't in place, she wrote. For instance, police in Pennsylvania told one reporter that they can't say whether they are reviewing unsolved cases that could be linked to Kohlberger because of the gag order. And the mayor of Moscow told another reporter that he can't talk about overall community healing because of the gag. This is true. This is absolutely true. I'm going to read that again because this I want you guys to know this. And you know, when we first heard about the gag order, we and it's not supposed to, and we did not think that it involved Steve Gonsalves, and nobody's talking about this. But after the gag order, he did come out and release some new information. We saw it. We went over it on here. He did. All right? And maybe he's nobody's talking about it like it didn't happen, but he did. And then he, he didn't. He's like, oh, wait a second. It's like his attorney got a hold of him like, hey, dude, no. No, no, no. This is over you too. This is at the same time his attorney was trying to contact the judge who wouldn't return his emails or talk to him about it. So he had to go to the state bar. All right, so check this out. For instance, police in Pennsylvania told one reporter they can't say whether they are reviewing unsolved cases that could be linked to Kohlberger because of the gag order. That is true because that is law enforcement. And that relates to the case. So they would be under the gag order. And the mayor of Moscow told another reporter he can't talk about overall community healing because of the gag. That's true, too. He also would not be able to under the gag. There's some uh, information about Nothing Burger's employment that was leaked. Depending on who leaked it, that would not be under the gag. If it's his, If it is his employer which was a school, which might have been just, I don't know, the dean of that department, which is what it would have to be for TA. The dean wouldn't be under that gag. Now, his teacher, uh, professor that taught him, would be under, you know, what they call it, 
They wouldn't be able to talk about their students. That's something different. Several journalists have had public record requests rejected or left unfulfilled because agencies in Idaho. And for those of you that disagree with me, if you are disagreeing with me about that, you're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing with the gag order that we actually sit down and read word for word. Check back a a few nights and check it out. I don't know that any of you are. I'm just saying. I'm just stating the facts here. Several journalists have had public record requests rejected or left unfulfilled because agencies in in Idaho and Washington fear they would run afoul of the order. Petitioners do not make the news. They report the news. They cannot report what they cannot gather, Olson wrote. All right, that leads us into what we have going today, right? Can a reporter make the news? Have you seen the news made here on YouTube? Hmm. Are the mainstream media, are they doing that same thing? All right, let's click into some videos here. This is Charles Ingalls Wilder, everybody. Brian Koberger spent his teenage years and most of his adult life here. That includes stints at two local colleges, including DeSales. Now police and prosecutors in this area want to know what he was up to all those years and are digging into their cold case files. Just outside the open wilderness and resort towns of the Pocono Mountains lies a neighborhood called the Birches. Just a very quiet community. These are the streets an accused killer once roamed as a teenager. I've definitely seen it on TV. Who hasn't? Now, Lynn Klein and others in the Pennsylvania communities where Brian Koberger lived until last year want to know if he could have committed any crimes before he was charged with the murders at the University of Idaho. Because anybody or any family that's been harmed or done wrong to deserves to know the truth. It isn't just citizens. Police and prosecutors have asked the same question. Your natural reaction is to start wondering, okay, is this guy wanted? Uh, Is his name out there? Uh, Did he do anything here in Northampton County? Terry Houck. Terrence Houck is district attorney of Northampton County and leads an office of more than 20 prosecutors and a half dozen detectives. It's here at Northampton Community College, where Brian Koberger took his first courses in higher education, graduating here in 2018. After Koberger's arrest for the Idaho murders, Northampton County's district attorney ordered a review of unsolved cases in his county. We have a a crime information center that that compiles information of people's description, uh, size, weight, height, method of operation, things of that nature. Obviously, you wonder whether or not there was any criminality that he uh, committed here in Lehigh County or in the environs. Jim Martin, district attorney of the neighboring county, Lehigh, also ordered a review of unsolved cases. Lehigh County is home to DeSales University, which Koberger attended after Northampton Community College. He spent four years here studying criminal justice. Right. It's not hard to imagine that he committed other crimes. It is not at all. I wonder if these law enforcement agencies are speaking with each other about these things. I wonder if the gag orders held them back a little bit from doing their jobs. Other than the reporters, I have to wonder. Ian Koberger. Earning a master's degree last summer. What does law enforcement do given that he did spend time here? Well, we have a resource here called the Regional uh, Intelligence and Investigation Center. It's uh, the first thing I did was I asked that 
uh, I asked the, the director of the RIC, as we call it, um, to see if we had any contact with Mr. Coburn. A data search of more than 6 million police incident reports in Pennsylvania turned up only one record with Koberger's name. He called police from this bike trail one night to report that his car was locked behind a park gate. There was a response from him thanking the police and apologizing for the inconvenience. The district attorney in Monroe County, Pennsylvania, where Koberger grew up and where a SWAT team arrested him on December 30th, did not respond to our questions. But in Northampton and Lehigh counties, both district attorneys say their investigations have found no links to Koberger and any unsolved cases. So we have no unsolved homicide. Sides. I thought they weren't talking. In what happened? Way, meet the mo modus operandi of, of this event out in uh, Idaho. Uh, there has nothing been brought to my attention. Uh, in fact, nothing with respect to Koberger has come, come up. Whenever I put these glasses on and I'm looking at, at the monitor up here, it makes me, I'm like, man, I look like the male version of Grizzly True Crime. What's going on here? About in our investigations of cold cases or unsolved cases to this point. And that should be some relief to a community that's been stunned and saddened by the murders of four college students 2,500 miles away. It's a little close to home. You just don't expect it. So prosecutors say the bottom line is there's no evidence that Koberger committed any crimes here in Pennsylvania. In Center Valley, Pennsylvania, Chris Ingalls, King 5 News. What is the real story of January 6th? What is the real story of January 6th? Wow, I just hit a wild button on here. All right, moving right along here. Your girl, Banfield... In the Idaho murder case, there's been a lot. I think it's important because in the Idaho murder case, actually. there's been a lot of focus on the chief focus. defendant in the case, Brian Koberger. And now we are learning a Nothing few bad. things were happening in that man's life leading up to and right after the murders. Things like being investigated by his own school, Washington State University, oh. where he was working oh. as a teaching assistant. And apparently, the investigation wasn't going well. He was warned time after time after time to cut back on the bad behavior. We're told behavioral problems specifically. But time after time after time, he didn't. He got more feisty and belligerent, even arguing with his professors Not until anymore. they finally decided, you're fired. That's right. Brian Kohlberger was fired as a teaching assistant from Washington State University. I have the actual specifics of this, and I wanted to sort of go through what we have uh, come to learn was the sort of timeline of his warnings and all of the things that were listed on a termination letter that Koberger himself was given right before they cut the cord with him. So I'm gonna just watch some of these so I don't get them wrong. But the highlights, or lowlights, I guess you might call them, was that he had a sexist attitude towards females that he interacted with at the school, oh. that he was rude to the women, and then get this, as a teaching assistant, he apparently graded the women differently than he graded the men. 
Here is the um, alleged language that was included in his termination letter along with the timeline starting on September 23rd. And by our math, that's about one month into his brand new job as a teaching assistant in his doctoral program, which may or may not have been. All right. I'm going to pause this so we can read this together. I'm putting it on the big screen. She did it again. Ashley did it again. She upset Susan. She sounds like she wants to smack his butt because he's a naughty boy. Is the way she's saying it. September 23rd, he had an altercation with a professor. Uh, this is of the, the last year, so the actual attack happened on November 12th, 13th. September 23rd, altercation with professor. October 3rd, meeting to discuss professional behavior. October 21st, received email about failure to meet expectations. November 2nd, meeting to discuss improvement plan. December 7th, meeting to discuss improvement plan progress. But then on December 9th, he had a second altercation with the professor. December 19th, he was officially terminated. So he had a lot on his mind, a lot on his mind when he was going to have Christmas with the fam. Interesting. Let's see what Ashley has to say about this. Tied to his teaching job. September 23rd. Koberger apparently has an altercation with one of the professors named Dr. Snyder. Just 10 days later, on October 3rd, the letter outlines that they had met to, quote, discuss the norms of professional behavior. And then 18 days after that, on October the 21st, Dr. Snyder emails uh, Brian Koberger to say that he has, quote, failed to meet the expectations that were outlined in the discussions they'd had before. Twelve days after that, on November the 2nd, they... I'm sorry I like Ashley, everybody, but she does have that you've been a naughty boy tone in her voice. Now, Nancy Grace will scare you shitless. But I just feel like a naughty boy listening to her. They met again to discuss what they called an improvement plan. And then on December the 7th, that's about, well, let's cut to actually 12 days later, uh, 11 days later, the murders actually happen. So they have the meeting to discuss the improvement plan. And 11 days later on November 13th, the murders are carried out. Then cut forward to 24 days beyond, and that's December 7th. That's when there was another meeting with the professors. And this was supposed to be about the progress of the, quote, improvement plan. Apparently, it didn't go too well because two days later, on December 9th, he had another altercation with Dr. Snyder. And here's the quote, in which it became apparent that you had not made progress regarding professionalism. So she actually got the letters. She got the letters. I want to know. I want to know why Susan is so bent out of shape of this. She's driving down the road and thinking about this with my voice in her ears. Hello, Susan. 
those of you that are angry at Ashley, and I'm not saying you don't have a right to be, I just want you to explain it to me. She got this. How could this be violating the gag order if she got this from a civilian? I'm not sure. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I just want you to explain it to me. She hasn't had the time yet. I'm sure she's getting her thoughts lined up, and sometimes that takes a while, especially when she's driving. Please pay attention, Susan. But she actually has the letter. I'm going to try to see if I, I'm going to call her. And by call her, I mean look on Google. And I'm going to see if I can find, if I can have access to this stuff. Maybe on their website or there's an article written about it. Because maybe we can figure out where this leak came from. But does that violate the gag order? I say no. But some people are mad. Susan's saying that's not it like we're arguing. I don't know what it is because you can't get your point across to me. Come on, Susan. Ten days after that, December 19th, Brian Koberger is officially terminated by Washington State University. And some are reporting that he was withdrawn from the data system three days later on December the 22nd. Thank you for watching. Go to News Nation now. She thanks me, everybody. I'm going to play five more Banfield clips just for Susan. And then a whole bunch of other people who are more like taking. And then a whole bunch of other people who are more like taking time bombs and would like to see him blown up. Because as it turns out, there are multiple letters coming in to the Moscow jail. Oh, wow. And they are threatening the life of Brian Koberger. Oh, no. And they are not treated like the love letters slightly different for that i turn to the guy i know who knows everything about prisons and Jerry jails that's larry levine he's the director what? and the founder oh, of Wall Street no. consultants and also with me tonight dr oh, michael aaron that guy. he's a Holy psychotherapist moly. and a certified sex therapist specializing Holy in moly. fetishes i think he might oh, be able to goodness. get me off the ledge on this, this one first to you larry levine when a threatening letter comes in ultimately saying that they want to see this guy dismembered or whatever it is they're threatening What's the protocol? Does he get to see these letters? No, they're not going to do that. And they're going to refer it over to the postal inspector. And they'll launch an investigation and try to attract the letters back. But, you know, this is nothing new. Look at Jody Arias, the Menden brothers, Scott Peterson, Charles Manson. They all receive letters. I mean, Charles Manson married somebody that was writing letters to them. It's these women that I spoke to Jacqueline Pavolari, my colleague, who's a psychologist, and she said that these women are insecure and they lack self-esteem and that they find that the men, they're not available, but they are. They know that they're not cheating on them. Thank you for watching. Holy crap. You scared me with that one. Is that really all of it? She had to cut him off because he started to degrade women. Good job, Ashley. You should have asked me about that guy. I'd kinder feller look into it. He's full of sh- shit. All right. I'm rethinking that idea of hashtag Shamfield. This feels like Jerry Springer up in here. All right. In this next one, we have Ashley Banfield and, oh my gosh, we have Ashley Banfield and Brian Inton in a cage match. Who do you think will win? Do you think it's the silver-haired fox 
or the uh, blonde brunette here. We'll find Dr. out. Dr. Scott Bond. He's a criminologist, a professor. He's the author of the best-selling book, Why We Love Serial Killers, The Curious Appeal of the World's Most Savage Murderers. Dr. Bond, you probably just heard the breaking news that, that we just um, reported on all of these conflagrations that Brian Koberger uh, seemed to have been having with his professors, with his students, um, and with other people among the staff, to the point where he was cut loose. He was fired from Washington State University from his teaching job. I just wanted to get your initial reactions to sort of that behavioral profile as you look at then now what he's accused of. Well, absolutely. And, and first of all, thank you for having me on this evening. And I wanted to say, I was thinking about this myself. I was a TA. When I was getting my PhD at the University of Miami, I was a TA. And that TA position was tied to my funding, my assistantship that paid for my entire education. So that is not something you want to leave, uh, lose. You do not want to risk losing something like that. And the fact that it escalated so quickly and that he was terminated in his first semester there would suggest to me that his behavior really was egregious, that it was something had become a big problem for the department and the university. And so those, I wanted to just give that as a little bit of background. But to the extent that um, that this letter, which I don't believe the alleged letter has been um, completely authenticated yet, but if it is in fact true and the timeline is true, then this is something that could have absolutely um, contributed to him reaching a tipping point in his rage and anger and leading him to strike out in this terrible um, uh, murder situation. Yeah. I just want to say that this guest is a whole lot more credible than Coffin Daffer. He actually has experience and knows what to say, not just pulls words out of his derriere. We don't have our hands on the letter yet, but we've had we the, um, the essence of it authenticated by a source close to the investigation. Um, and that's the next best thing without actually getting your hands on a copy of the termination letter. Um, and obviously, you know, when it comes to those kinds of, you know, staff and um, policy, you know, obviously administrative staff policies, um, employment records are pretty private. It's hard to get your hands on those things. But I'm curious Absolutely. about... Yeah, you know, I was so curious when you said that for you, the, the teaching assistant job was tied to the actual program. And I'm guessing that that's not a far stretch to suggest the accommodations that were on campus as well might have been part of that, too. So there could have been a lot of a lot of stress. What I can't. There's a lot to say about that, because I worked on campus as myself as an IT in the IT department and in the library. So I actually have experience working as a librarian. Can you believe it? But it wasn't tied to my funding. My funding was tied through the military. So it was different for me. But this gives me a new perspective. And I'm saying it's better than Coffin Daffer because she goes on these places just because they consider her an expert. And she doesn't have anything to say other than the common sense someone would have, you know, just walking down the street. So I'm liking it so far. Can't understand is the utter bravado that it would take if all of that was on the line and you're getting warning after warning and a helping hand to try to work through your problems. What kind of personality do you think this is that would literally thumb his nose at the authority that hold his future in their hands? Great question. And 
you know, this crime that he committed is actually a mass murder. But I've been saying for some time now that the more that we learn about him, his development and his progression seems more similar to a serial killer. Uh, and I've studied serial killers extensively for some time. And so this didn't just happen, Ashley. I think that he was evolving, developing over a period of time. And he reached a tipping point where he simply couldn't take it anymore. And he had to act out on his fantasy of, of killing. And so something like this, where, where the rug had been pulled out from under him, his funding, his home, as you said, which I do believe was probably tied to his assistantship and his uh, TA position, it could have just pushed him over the edge um, to the point that, uh, that he had to act out. Pushed him over the edge. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Jenna. Jenna just gifted five Midnight Radio memberships. If you're listening right now and you're not in the chat room, get on the chat room and give you one of those. Oh, Miss Midnight, my own wife got a membership. Holy moly. Miss Kelly, I got to know Adam Hamilton and y'all's daughter. Congratulations, you all. You are now members of the Midnight Radio family here. And if you're a midnight or above, then you have access to her Discord. So, boom. If you want access to our discord they there are videos of uh you can email me midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com and i'll send you the link and i will grant you permissions and um and because the the escalation was already there as you said he was in trouble by september by october the murders took place in november but he already knew that Thank he was you, in deep trouble by then well, he still has the presumption of innocence, and these are allegations against him until they're uh, proven in a court of law. So at this point, he is an accused quadruple murderer. I, I'm still just so astounded He's by the, um, the sexism and the allegations that he was grading the women uh, differently than the men. And that, to me, would be a big you know, red flag for those uh, teachers or, or should have been. Um, and perhaps they did catch it very quickly as they started right in September. Uh, can't thank you enough. So much, just so enlightening. Can't thank um, you enough, Ashley. Dr. Bond, thank you. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a good evening. Thank you for oh, she thanking watching. Me too. Go to new oh, thank you. I'll watch again and again. Hey, everybody. Thank you, Jenna. Thank you, Jenna. Jenna's awesome, everybody. Guys, for those of you who are thinking about becoming a member of Discord, Discord, we have a lot of fun in there. We were live streaming the Murdoch trial today as much as we could. There's a bomb threat in there today. We can find out about it live. We're going to go over that. We have somebody we're going to talk to here in a minute who's been following the Murdoch trial since the inception of it. It's been interested in it, deep in it. has been conversing about it, watching it every day. We're going to pull him up in a few minutes as we go through a little bit more of this. I have something else I want to show you about Zana again. I know there's a lot of talk about what her last TikTok video was and what her last moments on TikTok were, what she showed, what she was looking at. And that's what this video is right here. For those of you that are new to the show, I put links up, everything I show. And if you look, go, go look at a couple of them. There's a lot of work that goes into this, believe it or not. A lot of y'all think I'm up here babbling, but no, there's a lot of research that goes into this. And I have, I have like a book note, a book worth of notes and, and uh, things for you guys to click on to everything I'm talking about. You want to see the video? You want to see the Ashley videos? All that will be up there for you. This right here is what Zana Carnoodle was looking at on her, the very last thing she looked at in, on her TikTok. 
Hi, my name is EJ, and I just wanted to share with you some of Zana Kanodal's TikTok humor, the comments that she's posted, some of the videos that she watched. What's this? It's an art project. Okay, I like it, Picasso. What's this? She was a very humorous and outgoing girl, and she appeared in many other people's TikTok videos, which I find fascinating. You know, she was supportive of her friends, and uh, she just had an infectious smile, and it was just loved to laugh, loved to make other people laugh. And, uh, you know, it's just a tragedy I got to know these people under this circumstance. Uh, I wish I'd have, I know I'd have rather have never heard of them than to have had this happen and to find out about them this way. But uh, I do share a TikTok passion, and I just find it interesting to to see her likes and uh comments and in the videos that she appears in who are you i'm you 10 minutes from now damn it you are handsome <laughs> i was just thinking the same <laughs> we are sexy we are sexy bitches yeah and she just uh she was just an outgoing and fun spirit you know and it's just such a tragedy such a loss and and you know unfortunately we didn't know them before this happened but you know even posthumously it's it's you know, people offer things and she offers inspiration. She offers, uh, you know, just a good laugh, you know, uh, an uplifting experience, just seeing what she watched and, and what she created and what she uh, collaborated with on other people's TikTok pages. And uh, I just, uh, I just really think it's good honoring to watch this. Sorry for, for this, but, um, <laughs> My vape was found, so we gotta go get it. I don't know where the fuck my car keys are. I won't drive like I could, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. No, Let's fucking go. Who could drive? Can you no drive? one can drive. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I have a daughter in college, you know, and it's just, uh, it reminds me of her a lot of ways, you know, just to be careful, be on the lookout for any... Any possible dangers, but at the same time, to enjoy your life, you know, just like Xana did. She did not hold back. And uh, this here is a Hi. beta uh, Phi video that they put out, and she appears in the middle of it. There she is. You know, she was very participative in in, in her sorority and in on campus life, and uh, just full of life. You know, this is the last video. It's assumed that she watched. So. I've I've muted the audio for uh, copyright purposes, but this was posted on 11:12, and you can see that comment was made on 11:13 by Zana, and people are asking, is that the last one? And there's a lot of people that are confirming that. I mean, we know it was in the wee hours of 11:13 that uh, her life was tragically taken, 
But uh, this quite possibly is the very last video she watched. We, I mean, we can't know that for sure, but she did take the time to comment on this. And we do know that at 4.12 a.m. she was on the 13th. She was on TikTok. So this may very well be it. And uh, if, if, if not, it's, it's actually within the last hours. Of Okay, everybody, I just want to end it, end it right there. I'm going to play this whole video. I played a lot of it. I'll put a link to it, giving him full credit. And the reason I want to play it is this. I wanted everybody to, I wanted to see the different, the differences between the victims. The victims were vibrant, full of life. I mean, Xana, she had a hard childhood. And look at where she was. It's amazing the kind of person she is and what she went through. Just absolutely amazing. And um, and we have these people, this woman, I know there's one woman uh, that we talked about that was writing love letters to the guy. And we had, you know, Banfield on earlier talking about it. So I just wanted to show the difference there. And I almost feel like the woman that was writing him letters and putting it all over Facebook, she wasn't doing it out of love. I mean, obviously she wasn't doing it for love and anything other than that. She didn't need to make that stuff public. If this was just about how she felt about him, she doesn't need to put that on her Facebook. For me, it's completely attention. And I feel like there's danger there in her personal life, but Hey, what do I know? I'm just a dude that talks to a microphone, right? So, all right, it's time for us to talk about, I'd like to thank Miss Midnight for giving out a membership. Brooke, you got a membership. Hey, if you guys show up to chat and you want to try out memberships, good chances are on a good night, you know, if you're here for like a whole week, you're going to get a membership for free. All right, thank you guys very much. If you, you've got a membership tonight and you want to be in our Discord, and Discord is where the, the Discord is where the party is at, you should check out the memes I posted today. All right. Anybody want a Garfield recliner? Don't know what I'm talking about. Get yourself in Discord. Email me midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. Let me know. Hey, I want to be in the Discord. If you have a Midnighter level or above, you have access to our Discord. So let me continue here. All right. I'm going to open up the phone line. There's one person and one person only that I want to call, that I want to have call me on that line, and he knows who he is because we're going to have a discussion about the Murdoch trial. And the way we're going to start that discussion is he's going to tell us what is the Murdoch trial. We're going to start from the beginning. We're going to start from the beginning, and he's going to break it down to us, and then we're going to roll into where we're at today. And we're even going to talk about that bomb threat that happened today when we're all watching in Discord Live. Hello. I went, I went to go get a cup of tea. I came back and the whole damn thing was over. I'm like, what happened, Jenna? Jenna thought I made the phone call. No, 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 no. wasn't me. All right, I'm opening up that phone line. Guys, you know what? I know how much memberships are. So if you give a membership, you're also going to be an executive producer. 
So know that. So I'm going to write that down right now. I'll go for the next show. All right. Um, Before I bring Grant up, I want to play some of these messages I have. And then we're going to open up the phone line and talk to Grant. Okay. (laughs) All right, here's our first one. Hey, I'm calling to wish Hot Ham Radio a happy 21st birthday in your honor. I threw back a couple of shots at lunch. Happy birthday, Hot Ham Radio. That sounds like Susan. Susan, is that you? Then again, I think everybody on here sounds like Susan. And she's driving. Hi, Jerry. Ashley Banfield is being referred to as Ashley Shamfield or dress hashtag Shamfield. Thanks, Electra. So it's also been notarized by me, Susan A. So I just wanted to let you know. Susan again, everybody. Hey, Jerry. Um, I'll ring back later, Mike. All right. You're just one second off, Grant. One second off. All right. Go ahead and call me now, Grant. We're ready for Grant, everybody. All right. Midnight caller line. Is this Grant? Hello, Jerry. Hey, Grant. How are you doing? Yeah, good, Mike. Yourself? I'm doing great. Thank you for giving out some memberships. That's nice. Oh, well, um, people are going to follow. So, no, it's a pleasure, Mike. I appreciate that. I heard you like the pre-show. Uh, yeah, I caught it this morning. That was great. Awesome. So Johnny can, Vincent, um, Johnny Vincent is fantastic. I like him. He's good. They're right now. Everybody seems like they're experimenting a little bit before we go to the mainstream, and that's the idea behind the pre-show, really, for them to get used to the software, the format, and the music, and and their as they get ready. What time is it there of, now of in lit- Australia? 10.56 in the morning, probably tomorrow, your your time. Wow. So you... I sat up like... Go ahead. For everybody that's listening, up. for me and Grant, you'll, you'll notice a little bit of a... There's a little bit of a delay on the phone all the way from the U.S. to Australia. So that's what's going on. I feel... Um, I feel like I keep interrupting you, and I've tried to curb that in my life. Um, last night I sat up late because the ISS um, space station flew overhead and I wanted to film it, so I'm a bit dusty, mate. But um, I really um, was uh, – when I saw your thumbnail, I, w- I, I was actually watching the trial, and um, – 
I saw your thumb, like, and the bombs, bomb scare happened, and I saw your thumbnail when I when I stopped watching it, and I thought, wow, uh, Jerry's going to think I find in something. Yeah, it was um, quite the uh, scare with the bomb thing, um, and I'd like to talk to you a little bit about that if that's all right. Oh, absolutely. But before we do that, is there any way for those that haven't been watching the Murdoch trial, if you could sum it up for us, who he is, what happened, why people care about this trial since you've been following it closely? Um, well, Alex is a very prominent lawyer in um, South Carolina, District 14 or something, I think you call it in America. Um, and he got in a lot of financial hot water. And um, if you follow the trial, people will know that he, he, he ripped off his friends, family, um, maids, which they call Mexicans. I hate that term to refer to people as Mexicans, but um, he uh, he is gotten a lot of hot water with money, and it's believed they're trying him for murder of his son and his wife, and they keep playing a tape in court that shows him his son doing a, a tape recording very close to the time that he, he they were killed. And they keep playing this tape in court and catching him out. But Murdoch's were a very prominent um, family of lawyers. They sort of remind me of the movie Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy, I think, Trading Places. They, um, the two financial wizards or whatever in Trading Places, if anyone knows, they remind me of that, the South Carolina um, influential lawyers, and they're just really, um, I don't know, it just seems that they'll never go broke, they scratch each other's backs, and it's, it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating case. And then the bomb scare today, all over the news, um, Yes, so is it, what do you want me to say about that, Jerry? I think that just about sums it up. So we have two, two different factors going on here from the beginning. The first trial that he had was over financial dealings about him being a real bad crook, just like you said. And it went from that to the murder of his family. So that's basically where we're at. He says that he was the one that found, found them. And they were investigating from that. We played a video a few days, a few nights ago, maybe last week, where the police were interrogating him for the first time in the squad car there. And he's telling the story, and he he's crying, but there's no tears coming from his eyes, none at all. And um, I've seen these videos long enough where I've never seen someone who did it or wound up getting convicted having tears from their eyes. I'm not saying that means anything other than what I just said. So I know there's several things. What are, what are the, some of the, I don't know where you stand right now. Do you think he did it or do you think that he didn't do it? I was up in the air. Now I think maybe there's just so much evidence against him 
he cries. I can see him going through the motions. He is absolutely caught in a bind here, which you would be if you murdered your wife and son. He's got a living son, Buster, who um, is yeah. caught up in it too. There's, there's phone calls from jail where he traps people in at the end of the calls into doing stuff for him. He's um, he's 54. His wife was um, 52 and his son that got killed was 22. He was in a boating accident earlier and Alex thought, all his money's going to be taken away from him because a girl got killed. And I think that's not only his bad dealings from before, but I think this boat accident where his son drunk driving a boat killed a woman, he thought he was going to be taken to the cleaners. And he puts money away here and there. He even robbed money from two kids, that a maid that worked for him, the dogs evidently tripped her over and she died later in hospital. And um, they got a payout of $4 million or something and didn't see a red cent of it, even though Alec told the kids, I'll take this to court, I've got um, I've got insurance. And he ripped them off. It's terrible this, what this guy's done. So I heard other people talking about this and... Some of them are thinking that he didn't do anything, but I, either he did it or he's the most unlucky bastard in America, I'll tell you that. Some people say they well, think that he was a- wrapped up in drugs, but the amount of money that he had to spend on drugs are just outrageous if he would have actually been using yeah. drugs, and he looks healthy. No, he was on prescription drugs. I think it was Adderall. I'm not sure. They said he was wired a lot. Um, but um, I, 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 I personally, once he's one of his good friends who was there at uh, 11 o'clock the night Maggie and Paul got, the son got killed, he come there, the lawyer, and to console him, he stayed there till 3 in the morning and he left and they all left shortly after him, he got on the stand and was played the kennel tape, it's called, and said, I hear Maggie, Paul, the son, and Alex on that recording. Well, that recording was done minutes, minutes from when the murders happened because Paul's phone died minutes after that, three minutes or something after that was turned off. And so you can hear him in the background in the kennel tape saying his wife says he's got a bird in his mouth and he says, no, it's not, it's a rock or something. And that is, that's terrifying because you know within 10 minutes they're they're shot dead. And the house is, you've seen the uh, Google Earth photos, his house is hundreds of yards from the, um, from the house. Mm-hmm. I do have two videos here today. I have one. It says, uh, caregiver says Alex Murdoch made unusual visit on the night of of murders. I've got that one. And I have this one, which is interesting. A forensic expert says gun residue found on Alex Murdoch's hands and jacket. These are from yesterday. And I had this one. Uh Go ahead. 
he was holding a shotgun when the cops rolled up. So she did say in that that we don't know if he fired a weapon or he handled a weapon. Well, he did handle a weapon. It was up against his truck when the coppers rolled up. And he'll he'll argue that in court. There would be different kind of residue left on his hands from from holding a weapon that's been fired in the past or residue, gun residue that splattered back on him from firing it that night. Um, they, Jerry. Yeah. What I, what I think, I hope it's not an OJ thing with these lawyers, I, I, I think they messed up not if they didn't do a gunpowder residue test on his hands. It seems very strange that they only tested his jacket and that. Why not test his hands and that? This guy was prominent there, so I don't know if they've messed up the case. The lawyer for the state, the main lawyer, he's fantastic. He's eaten them alive, I, I think. So so what you're saying is they have the residue, but none on his hands or his arms, just his his clothing? No, I don't. Okay. I don't know, Jerry. I think okay. I, when you brought that up just then, I haven't heard anyone say we did um, gunshot residue test on his hands. Okay. She just answered back. To me. She just answered back to him that. Okay, they found something. Um, yeah. yeah. Dealy pickles, three grains on right hand and one on left hand. I believe he cleaned up. Wow. Three grains oh, yeah. on right hand and what? Three grains. Three grains. Oh, they of must have done. They must have done gunshot residue with the little magnet or whatever they use. So somebody said they have zero physical evidence, but there's some physical evidence right there. But other than that, I so, think the physical. Go ahead. I think the physical evidence, Jerry, is the phone log and the Snapchat or whatever he was doing. The son Paul. It all ties him, even though he denies he was at the kennel. It all ties him to the kennel at the time of the murders. Did you watch the the uh, testimony over about the ken the kennel? I've watched parts. parts it's, of there's a lot of testimony about the kennel. Okay, so what was a good testimony about that? I have the lawyer. It says a lawyer says Alex Murdoch never mentioned going to kennels on the night of the killing. No, yeah, that's a prominent lawyer who, in the beginning, gives his name, Ronnie, Ron, uh, Robbie, Robbie, sorry, Robbie Crosby. He's a good friend of um, Alex's. I, that's the one I said went there at 11 a.m. when she got they got killed and left at 3 a.m. He gets on the stand and he says, I work for, and he points to the picture in the courtroom, I worked for that lawyer when I was interning or whatever, you, you know, in the 90s. Oh, so, Sorry about that. So, so um, he's a prominent lawyer, a good friend of Alex's, and they bring up in his testimony this tape about, I think they're going to come back to the tape and say, Alex said he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. The phones prove he was. He used to have a phone in both ears at times. He would never be without a phone, this lady said. And he had no phone on him. He had no phone on him. It's crazy. I was wondering about that. It's pretty long. It's a long clip, like an hour and 27 minutes. I'm like, 
what the hell, how is this testimony relevant? Just because he didn't tell somebody he was going somewhere doesn't mean a damn thing. All right. Yes, it does, Jerry. If, if, how, how does it mean anything? Why would because he? Because they're going to, they're going to show the time that Paul, the son recorded that kennel video and it's going to show he recorded it at 8.43 and the murders were at 8.50 mm-hmm. and the 911 call was around that time and um, bang, he's gone, in my opinion. Right, but what is it? The kennels matter, yes. The kennels matter a lot. But the fact that that one lawyer says that Alex didn't tell him he was going to the kennels. Yeah, I don't know what that means. How does that, that testimony that, matter? Uh, no, Alex didn't tell him he went the kennel. They should. The lawyers a bit sloppy. They should have said, "All right, he didn't tell you he was going the kennel, but he t- did. He tell you he wasn't there right. at the kennel, and he did say that he wasn't there." I have a video here. I want to play. It's a quick summary of the Murdoch trial as a recap from February 7th. Let's play this really quick and we'll talk on the flip side of it. And good evening now. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday, February 7th, as we recap what happened in the courtroom today in the Alec Murdoch double murder trial. The disgraced attorney is accused of shooting and killing his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul, in June of 2021. And today's testimony was wide-ranging, from Murdoch's alleged financial crimes to gunshot residue being found on Murdoch. And we're going to start with that gunshot residue testimony from Megan Fletcher. She's a forensic scientist with the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division. Fletcher says the gunshot residue was found on Murdoch's shirt and shorts, but she doesn't know when or how it got there. She also says a large amount of gunshot residue was found on the inside of that blue raincoat that was introduced into evidence just yesterday. 13 particle lifts collected from the exterior of the jacket, and I did find particles characteristic of gunshot primer residue on it. Now, what does that mean? Uh, that that jacket could have been in the vicinity to the discharge of a firearm or something that had gunshot residue on it could have transferred to that object. I can't tell you when that happened or how it happened. Was there a lot of gunshot primer residue inside the inside of the jacket? I would say there were a significant, significant number of particles uh, of particles characteristic of gunshot primer residue on the inside of this jacket, yes. How many did you determine? I'd, I confirmed 38 particles characteristic. Fletcher added that one particle of gunshot residue was found on Murdoch's hands on the night of the murders, none found on his shoes. Now, Ronnie Crosby was on the stand for several hours today. He's an attorney who worked with Murdoch at the very same law firm. Crosby previously testified without a jury present about money that Murdoch allegedly stole from the law firm. Judge Newman ruling yesterday that the financial allegations would be allowed in as evidence, so jurors hearing that testimony... Today, Crosby answered questions on a number of topics. He described a meeting in September of 2021 where he says he was presented with evidence that Alec Murdoch was stealing from the law firm. I'd sat for a minute and reviewed it. I think Danny said, you're going to need a drink. And so... Did you have a drink? Yeah, I'll tell you more than one. 
What happened after that? Well, they didn't tell me what was in it. They, they let me review it on my own. And I immediately said, this is, this is bad. And my words then were that we have to terminate Ellick. He cannot no longer practice with us. Well, Crosby also says he was at the crime scene. Go ahead, Grant. No, this guy was powerful, if you ask me. He, there's a picture of the judge that ran this court, and he points to the picture and says, I, I work for this guy. I know it's got nothing to do with it, but the jury are listening to all this, remember? Mm -hmm. Although, are they? He just, <laughs> yeah, they just said he's not. I don't, um, I don't know why the jury aren't listening to that testimony. I don't know. A lot of people are complaining about the way this trial is being handled in the chat room. They're saying that the it seems like the lawyers are being deliberately confusing and they don't allow the jurors to have notepads and it's hard to follow and they're not telling what the significance of the testimony is. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what they're saying here in the chat room the night of the murders he said that murdoch told him he had not been down to the dog kennels before finding the bodies of his wife and son prosecutors then showed crosby the video from paul murdoch's cell phone that was taken at the kennels shortly before the shootings he says he heard alec murdoch's voice on that tape take a listen did you recognize any voices on that video the three voices on that video are the voices of Paul Murdoch, Maggie Murdoch, and Alec Murdoch. And how sure are you? How sure are you? I'm 100% sure that's whose voices are on that, the audio there. And earlier in the day, Jenny Seconder back on the stand testifying for several hours. You remember she was on the stand last week testifying before the judge, but today, in front of the jury. She was the chief financial officer at Murdoch's law firm at the time of the murders. She says Murdoch was depositing money owed to the law firm directly into his own accounts. The majority of those instances have involved client money, yet Alec Murdoch also received substantial legal fees in each one of those cases. Yes. And in each one of those cases in which that happened, at least on the ones we've gone through, according to your review, did he also uh, misappropriate substantial money on top of that? Yes. How long have you known Alec Murdoch? Since I was 16, so about 50, no, 40 cool. years. Worked with him closely wow. for how long? 22, 23 years. Did you really know Alec Murdoch? I don't think I ever really knew him. I don't think anybody knows him. No! They commercialed me, Grant. All right. You're kidding. Anyway, you get the gist of it. Yeah, I get the gist of it so far. I get the gist of it. He's a bad, bad man. I know. I know that it. They every time they give great evidence, Alex's lawyers get up and try and talk, which is the only thing they can do. Try and talk how great he is, but some of these witnesses are pushing back and saying he was narky at times. Yes, I loved him. I worked for him for nine years. You know, but he could be terrible at times so i think this guy is an absolute cretin there was some confusing evidence today they were talking to a 
FBI specialist who was going through the data in his car. And they were looking at the data, particularly in his entertainment console, his um, infotainment is how, how he called it, his infotainment consoles, when it was activated, how long it was on, how long it took it to turn off. And it seemed like all the evidence that was presented that I saw could be explained away. And it could be explained away because the people that were investigating had a level of incompetence. For example, when they were talking about the infotainment console, the defense asked him, so you said that the information that you got from the console was encrypted. Didn't you say that? And he's like, yes. Did you contact GM to unencrypt it? He's like, no, we did that on our own. He's like, oh, okay. Um, is there a reason why you didn't contact GM to, you know, get the console unlocked the correct way? He's like, well, they it usually takes too much time and they don't get back with this. He's like, oh, okay. So it's like the defense can say if he, if he, you know, damage the information because they weren't sure how to unencrypt the information. How is this even evidence that can be admitted in this trial? It seems like it can, can be thrown out. The, what I saw. I think, I think you're absolutely right. It, the, the defense is putting on a great counter argument, even though... It, they're swimming in mud. They're, they're, they're having trouble with this case, but they're doing good. And if not for the, what's it called, sleds mistakes, I think you're right. He may walk. He may walk because there's been a lot of mistakes. But I said I believed he was guilty, so uh, we'll just have to stick to that, Jerry. I was watching... We were watching this in the Discord today, actually, and um, somebody that was watching with me, they were on one side of it at once, at one time, and then they saw the latest things, and they're like, I'm not so sure anymore. Do you think maybe maybe you could go back to believing maybe this guy's innocent? Not of being a criminal, but of murder? Well, uh, I wish they had you. I bet you they wish they had you for a lawyer. <laughs> Because you've sort of put doubt in my mind. Typical Jerry. Well, that's the problem with with uh, these. Well, these lawyers. I've seen slicker lawyers. I'll tell you that the lawyer we saw last night that was working for the the lady who unalived her children. He was really good, and he had, he had a presentation in front of the jury. These lawyers don't seem like they do. Or they're not even worried about it, it seems like. And I know that can't be the case. But I'm just not seeing the level of articulation I would want representing me. And I'm talking about... Well, let's see. Both sides, really. Both sides. I don't know. I think it's going to go back and forth and back, back and forth each time. All right. Do you want to watch a little bit more of this video, or can you tell me about the murder weapon? Do Have they found the murder weapon? No, but the lawyer that I was talking about, Ronnie Crosby, he talks about the weapon, uh, about weapons. Evidently, the 300 blackout, or whatever it's called, 
which is an AR-15, but it's a more more gunpowder in the bullet, more powerful bullet. He had three of them. One, he Alex said he lost or got stolen. One was at the house, and one's missing. So I'm thinking three blackout, 300 blackout ammunition in an AR-15 that hold the blackout ammunition, and he's he's got three of them. He's holding a shotgun when the police rock up. He'd be silly to have that in his hands if he used that. And um, I think there's good arguments. I think the defence, I'd be very happy with the defence. I wouldn't be happy with Sled. And I'd be sort of happy with, uh, sorry, I'd be happy with the state, the prosecutors. I wouldn't be happy with Sled, but I'd be slightly happy if I was Alex in his defence. And can you play that um, video you said you were going to play? Which one? You said, um, I've got another video. I got a video of the forensic expert talking about the gun residue on his hands, his jacket. I have one of a caregiver says Alex Murdoch made unusual visit on the night of the murders. Yeah, that's what I got. Is that the black woman? Yes. Um, I'd, I'd play that. Okay. Um, I'm gonna... these, are the, these are the people. These are the people he had working for him. His wife said in a text um, something about the the um, Mexicans will clean that up. These family are very rich, very um, hoity-toity. Um, bougie. It, that's where I think. Sorry, go on, Jerry. Or bougie. Bougie, bougie, that's it, American bougie. Um, I'm down under, Jerry. We talk different. And plus, you know, we're a little ahead of you in time, but that's all. Um, I think um, they, they're they just entitled people. When I said it looks like the trading place financial guys in that movie, um, one of them's called Rudolph, and... Mm-hmm. Alex's father's Rudolph, and the second, third, they're all... (laughs) It's just comical in one sense, tragic in the other. But I think it's a great um, story for you to put across because it's interesting the whole country, especially when the bomb scare happened. I'll tell you what, that's a good idea. I'm going to play the bomb threat first. I got a video on that, and then we'll come to the video of uh, the caregiver and that way we'll know more about the way this family actually operated. So here's the bomb threat. Right. I'm going to pull that up right here. Here's a step-by-step problem. They're probably going to give me a commercial because they love me. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're trying to, okay, here we go. Agent Hurd, Hudak, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Where are you employed? Uh, South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, also known as SLED. All right, and what is your duties there? I'm a special agent in computer crimes. All right, and just briefly, 
What do you duties entail? Conduct uh, forensic examinations, cell phones, computers, uh, vehicle uh, infotainment modules, any sort of electronic device that can hold evidence. Uh, also, I'm an evidence custodian for the unit. For a recess, jury room for. I have the jury go to the jury room for a recess. Sorry, Jerry, I should have um, gone through a few more timestamps. Um, that's all right. Right here, they're just the audio has been redacted apparently from the what? bomb threat. Yeah. Uh, all right. This time, so we'll, uh, at this time, so we'll be in recess until we discover what's going on. We... Not much to see there. They're not even reporting on it. Uh, we'll we'll couple this with a lunch break until two uh, thirty. I was expecting to get a report on it. Let's see. All right, let's get a report. A dramatic moment at the double murder trial of disbarred attorney Alec Murdoch. Testimony came to an abrupt halt when the judge ordered the courtroom cleared out. Turns out there was a bomb threat. Here's Stephen Fabian. Drama at the Alex Murdoch double murder trial today. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to evacuate the building. The judge stopped this witness in the middle of testifying this moment, sir. and cleared the court. A bomb threat was received by the Collin County Courthouse personnel. When this evacuation went down, what happened to Alex Murdoch? I was able to see his transport van speed away from the courthouse with a, you know, patrol vehicle in front and behind this van. So he was quickly evacuated from this courthouse. Just before evacuation, Murdoch's law firm paralegal took the stand today and read an apologetic text he sent her when he was in drug rehab. I have an awful lot to try to make right when I get out of here. The worst part is knowing I did the most damage to those I love the most. Murdoch says he had nothing to do with the killings. The murder weapons have not been found. They, man, that, that murder weapon, that, that's what's on my mind. How long was the murder or the unlifing, whatever you want to call it, whatever they make me call it here on YouTube, how long was it between that and the police actually being called? Do you recall, Grant? No. Hey, hey, called the nine one one. He did. And was screaming like a high-pitched pig. Yeah. Um, but, but um, no, I don't know what time, but that's what's screwing him. Buff, uh, Paul, take, his son takes this video of the dog because it's got a broken tail or something, and everyone's saying that's 100% Alex Murdoch in that video, in that, uh, video, and that's right at the time he was murdered. But, like, you, the doubt you put in my mind was, all right, so he's there. If he finally admits to it, He's not admitting to murder. He's just saying, I was, all right, I was there. I didn't want to say anything. And he went back to the house because there's minutes uh, discrepancies there. But because it's minutes, I think he's got a lot to answer for. Man, if it was him, 
for and there's no other suspects, is there? No. They don't even have any suspects or any potential persons of interest other than him. How the real trick Hang would on. be. What what Alex said straight away, which is suspect, he said his son had just killed a girl and we're being sued and it could be someone, not word for word, but he said it could be someone coming at, at his son. Right, because of the death of the, the teenage girl in the boat. Yep. I did hear that. He said his son was getting death threats all the time. I'm going to go ahead and play this video here of uh, the caregiver because you said it's a real good video to see what a sleazeball these people were and out of touch with the common man, we'll put it that way. Michelle. Sleazeball is the right word. You a big break. Yes. What is your first name? Michelle. Spell that, please. M U S. And is it just me, guys, or I think Grant might be getting the wrong impression of America over here. These, this courtroom here in South Carolina seems like it's about 60 years in the past. Yeah, these lawyers dressing way out of date, and the courtroom looks really small, and it just it seems really old, really old-fashioned legal system here. seems like it hasn't changed in 60 years, and uh, anyone I've seen are just Jerry. a little bit more high-speed. Go ahead. Our, our court buildings are older than yours. This is perfectly normal, mate. I know it's different in Los Angeles than that, probably, but we've got 200-year-old buildings in for courts and that. Good point. Yes. H-E-L-L. Where did you get that name from? My auntie named me. And where did she get that name from? I don't know. <laughs> The Michelle with the with the U. U, yes, correct. Um, during the course of this, if you don't mind, is it okay if I call you Miss Smith or Miss Shelley or Shelley? I really don't know what's going to come out of my mouth sometimes. Is that okay? That, that's okay. But do you go by Shelley? Yes. Please tell these folks, Miss um, Smith, about Michelle Smith, um, where you were born, where you were raised, please. Hampton, South Carolina. And, and ma'am, if you, if you don't mind just pulling this up a little bit and sticking into it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Go ahead. I was born in Hampton County. Um, have four grown kids. I was born in Hampton County, four grown kids, six, eight grands, and I worked for the Hampton County District for the last 28 years, food service. It's my professional. Pull that chair up. I just want you to be comfortable. You said you had four adult kids. Yes. And then you said six to eight grands. It's eight grands. Eight grands. Okay. And um, raised where? Hampton, South where'd Carolina. Okay. Where'd you go to high school? Wake Hampton High School. And then what did you do after high school, Ms. Smith? Um, got married. Um, raised my kids. And um, that's what my profession, that's it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that is the hardest profession, raising children? Yes. You've got, you had four kids. Four kids. And when you were raising them, um, you were raising them, taking care yes. of them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And is it, are you in your family here today? Yes, my brother and my daughter. Who's, who's, what's your brother's name? Um, Michael Smith. Michael Smith, will you stand up? 
That's your brother? Yes, that's my brother. And who else is here? My daughter, Rochelle. Miss Rochelle, will you stand up? Thank you. They in here supporting you today? Yes. Don't take this the wrong way, but other than raising a family, which is the hardest job, were you doing, any, doing anything else during that time period? No, until 1995, I started working at the school district. Okay. Did you work in your church while you were raising your yes, family? Yes, I worked at church. Okay, and that's what I'm asking. What yeah. did you do with your church while you were raising your family? Usher, uh, sure. kitchen ministry. Kitchen ministry? Mm -hmm. okay. Yes. And um, how long did you do that? Oh, all my life. Church. This is almost like to Are kill a mockingbird yes. or something. And, and you don't have to name your church, but where, where, where is your church located? Fairfax, South Carolina. Oh, my God. What the heck? Holy moly. Why did they do that? Oh, man. So at some point Gary. after your children. Oh, I'm all right. Uh, yes, Grant. Um, Randolph, the father, dies on the 10th of June which always mixed up in this, uh, this lady worked for him that was testifying. Um, his father dies on the 10th of June. He's mixed up. He texts her a message, come back from the beach. Uh, uh, she texts a message, I've got to go back home. Alex has texted me that his dad hasn't got cancer or something. He's got pneumonia. She gets murdered on the 7th of June 2021. Is it 2021? Anyway, um, she gets murdered then. And then Alex's dad dies on the 10th, on the Thursday, a few days later. So they got sympathy going up the yin-yang for him, but he's done all this. So when they get on the stand, his so-called best friends and that, they're not uh, they're not pulling any punches. Oh, good. So, how far should I speed up a little bit in this testimony here? Right now, they're just doing. What uh, we no, call, no. Okay, it's no, about to get into no. it. Um, it's interesting, but um, it's too long. And she works for him. She never ever sees him at the pl at the at the residence. He gets there at six in the morning. Out of out of sorts, and um, she didn't see any blood on him. She thought the jacket was a tarp, a blue tarp, and but then they produced this jacket. Well, she said she saw him walk in with a jacket to the investigators, which they say, are you lying to the investigators or are you telling the truth now? Was it a jacket or a tarp? And she says it was a tarp rolled up. Interesting. Tarp rolled up. That's what she says in mm. the in her testimony. That's interesting. There to me is maybe she was. What do you call uh, when you when you say something to police and they put in a different words? Um, we call it something in Australia being. Not pressured, but being uh, anyway. Coerced. I think coerced. There's a there's no. Well, she actually said this is what the 
state says that she said to a, a investigator that I saw Alex come in with a jacket and then she says in another interview, I saw Alex come in with a tarp and there was a gun. It looked like there was a gun wrapped up in the tarp. Now she gets on the stand in what you're showing and jumps all over herself. So this was quite interesting, but it's so long that you it's just too much. I'm gonna just I'm gonna fast forward halfway, then fast forward to three quarters and see if I can get anything real quick. Just real quick here. Truck, what did he do? He got another truck. How long was he gone? For about ten minutes or fifteen minutes. Thank you. Okay, we got one. This other truck. What truck are you talking about? It's a black truck. Had you not seen that before? No. Why not? Because the um the. Um, the full truck, the, the catering thing was still out there in the way, so I couldn't see. So that blocked your view? It blocked my view, yes. So what vehicle did Mr. Murnau leave after he came back in the white truck? What color truck? It was a black truck. Black. Do you know whose that was? No. Okay. That morning, this morning when you first saw him at 6.30, did you observe anything about his face? Any on his face. Then I had a little color, a little bru- cut or something. And it, it, ma'am, I apologize. A little what cut? Like a, like a little bruise or something. Where was it? It's like above his forehead. Okay. I won't ask you to touch me, but can you touch yourself to show where? Right, right here. Something right there. Did it look fresh? This looked like a cut. Not, I wouldn't say fresh, but it's look. Was there a video system in, in, uh, in the house for either uh, Sister Murdoch or Miss Libby Murdoch? Yes. Okay. Can you tell them about that? Where was that? What was that? It was oh. in the Miss, Miss you, um, Libby's bedroom. Okay. And how, how was that activated or operated? Is it better? Do you know? No. Okay. But was it on all the time or not? Yes. Okay. And what color would it be if it was on? Was there a marker that, or a... Uh, Red and black, or red and green? No surface, yes. And would there be times when that wasn't on? Yes. And do you know who controlled it? No. Can I get the helmet? The jurors, please, so Mr. Griffin can see. Jerry. Yeah. Are people in the chat talking about... Oh, hold on a, a second. I got a phone call. Hello, Norma Jean. Is that you? That is me. How are you? I'm good. We're on here with Grant. Grant was just about to say something. Oh, good. Go ahead, Grant. Oh, I'm terrible with memory. Um, oh, Igmadil. Sigmadil. What's his name? Oh yeah, yeah. Look to me. I watch. I watch this guy for five minutes. Right? He's got posters. I could see you doing this, Jerry. Not really. He's got pictures all over the screen of each witness, and he's put his face on their hair. He's got the red hair of Buster. He's got witnesses. It's 
sort of sickening. And then he eats meals and commentates on his potatoes and peas. I don't know how he's got so many followers. Yeah, I noticed that he seems like Ickmel is doing a live stream on it all day long. Am I right, guys? It seems like a lot yeah. of people are doing a live stream on it all day long, actually. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, I was more offended by Law, uh, Law and Crime Network. Put up a thumbnail that said that, uh, oh, is the, is, is the older son, is Buster involved? They know darn right well he's not because he was alibied out right at the beginning. He's accounted for 100% that evening, and they know that. I'm glad you brought that up, Grant. I Slow don't, down. I don't feel right. I wouldn't feel right live streaming something like this. Now, what I do feel okay with doing is live streaming it in in the discord we have it in there going on during the day when we can and i'm in there we're talking about it together during the breaks and stuff but as far as going on youtube and doing it, i just don't feel like that's right it, it, you know what it's not right to uh, uh, grant i'm sorry i'm just gonna say i just feel like it's not right the way it's just being um it's it's uh there's a lot of just really wild information flying out there that that clearly, because they're competing so much for clicks right now, because everyone's covering it, that people are just saying things that just are absolutely flat out not true. That's what I'm noticing. Yeah, we, that makes sense? we have a pretty good section. I'm gonna go. Are you taking off, Grant? Yeah, I think um, whoever's on the phone might be interesting more than me. What? Uh -huh. Are you kidding me, Grant? No, I'm just saying. No, people in the accent, chat. Your accent makes you all the more interesting. So, no. Put the people I, I in the chat are sick of my voice. I wish I had a radio voice. You have a great voice. Are you kidding? You brother. Yes. The Australian accent sounds really good to us. It really does. It's great. Well, it's an Aussie draw, mate. Yeah, sounds great. Sounds great to us. <laughs> 100%. No, no, I just, I don't know who's talking, but he's coming across really loud and okay. fast. <laughs> I can, uh, that's Norma Jean. I can, uh, I can see if I can adjust. That Norma audio. Jean? Yeah. Hello, yeah. My mum's called, my mum's called, called Barbara Jean, the beauty queen. Oh my gosh, love it, love it. Oh, I know what, here we go, hold on a second, sorry about that. Is that better, Grant? I, I put the wrong slider. All right. Norma Jean. Okay. Better? How's that? It's good. That's my fault, Grant. Right. No, she right. she does know a lot about this case, and both of y'all know a whole lot more than me. I'm not here because I'm an expert. Uh, I'm just a go-between, really. Well, I'll give you a little, a little thing I saw yesterday. Um, I think it's funny the way all of a sudden everyone's like, they're kind of, they're kind of, they kind of saw the tide turn against him when, when Judge Newman ruled uh, – to let the financial crimes in. So the strategy on the defense's part is interesting. What they did was, and I think Alex directed this, was they did not ask for a change of venue. And the reason they didn't ask for a change of venue is anywhere else, he's just a disgraced lawyer who might have killed his parent, his family, right? In Carrollton County, there's a potential for the jurors to be like somebody he worked on a case for or somebody they, they, they've seen around town and they know him and they can't believe that he would kill his wife and his son, right? So it makes sense they didn't ask for the change of venue. In addition to which, they asked for the homicide trial to be uh, his, a speedy, his right to a speedy trial. They wanted it to come in before the financial crimes because they were hoping 
And if they motioned to keep the financial crimes out, then they could win, at least against the homicide charges. Did they roll the financial crimes to not be included in the murder trial? Right. So, so he's, he's indicted on ninety. It's a funny, funny ninety-nine, ninety-nine charges of everywhere from. Go ahead, Grant. Mrs. Mer- Mrs. Midnight hit the nail on the head. This is she talking? Hang on, affidavit. Someone microdosing psychedelics worked wonders. I've got to try that. Anxiety Not drug wise, but pardon? Yeah, anxiety. Up the yin yang. Thank you, Miss Midnight. All right. Because, um, you know, if you want to sit in his courtroom and chew gum and pop tic tacs and, you know, walk in with file folders under your arms like you're a lawyer, because he's a disbarred lawyer. Um, I don't think Judge Newman's taking kindly to that. And I, I think that uh, he's showing that by uh, not really taking much into consideration on the defense motions that are ridiculous because they had a chance to not have, you know, these financial crimes brought in. But when you think about the motive and the reason that the desperation was there, it's very clear. And again, we go by the path of least resistance. Three people were there and two people are dead and one walked away. I'm running out of time right now. Thank you guys for going over this with me. Yeah. We're going to talk for about sure. more of this no! coming ahead. Yeah, Grant, we love your accent. Keep, keep on calling in. Oh, definitely. Thanks. Always love having Grant on. But before I, let, before I let you guys go, I want to know what you guys are looking for in the trial right now. These next few days ahead, what are you looking at really closely? What do you expect to see happen? I'll let Grant answer first. Go for it. I see them hammering him with the little video at the kennel. The time discrepancies are bad. But my main focus, Jerry, is the Idaho 4 trial, you know, coming up. I think that's going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And we've also got Richard Allen Delphi. Not to, like, bring another case up, but, yes, we have, we've got another one, big one coming. The Delphi case. That's that's something that I was looking at really closely just before the uh, Idaho Four. Just a law enforcement error completely. That's on them. They screwed that up completely from the beginning. I he was, gave himself up. I wasn't gonna ask you guys week. this, but we went over it tonight about Banfield releasing the information about uh, Brian Nothingberger's work record and him getting fired. Do you think she should have done that? Normal. You know, I, I I hesitate to like, I just feel like she, uh, she always takes things just one step too far for me. And I like Nancy Grace and I get that she's a, a you know, a, an advocate for victims. I think that she really feels that she is, but sometimes, you know, with our enthusiasm, we can do more harm than good. Well, no, I, I don't mean Nancy Grace. I'm talking about uh, Ashley Banfield. Oh, Ash- oh, I'm sorry. Our girl Ashley. Uh, yeah, yeah. Our girl Banfield. I don't, uh, no, she's, she's on my bad side right now. She's like, She's on my shit list because of the... She's uh, on all of you guys' shit list, I swear. What about you, Grant? (laughs) Me and Grant love her, though. I don't think Ashley can um, put a step wrong. Um, I think Ashley, if she gets her way, we're going to hear a lot more about the trial. I think she's on the right track. 
She's a dog with she's got a dog with a bone. She's not gonna give up. So I give her that. That's great. All right, I thank both of you for tuning in and especially Absolutely. calling me. I appreciate Thanks. it. All right. Thanks a lot, Jerry. Everybody, everybody, Eagles, Eagles, Super Bowl Sunday. We are, we are going to win. All We're right. <laughs> I look forward to talking to both of you in the future. Thank you very much. Guys, thank you for tuning in. I know we went over a lot this time. That was Grant and Norma Jean, everybody. Appreciate it so much. Uh, I really, really appreciate it when someone calls in. You know, because what the show is about, it's a conversation with you. All right, we're going to be back. We're not going to be back tomorrow. Tomorrow, I'll take the day off. I have some things I need to take care of with my family. But when we come back, we're going to have another pre-show. Today is, what, Wednesday? We'll be back on Friday. We'll be back on Fruit Loop Friday. We're going to celebrate it right. We're going to have a really good pre-show for you guys, which will be at 4 o'clock uh, CST. The show's 5 o'clock CST. If you're interested in becoming an executive producer for the show, for a donation of $20 or more, become an executive producer. All the money goes to our music license. Any Anything that you could possibly spare to help us out. If you like the show and it gives value into your life, I'd appreciate it if you showing us value too. And it doesn't have to be in the form of money. It could be in the form of stories through emails. For those of you that joined today or got a membership, uh, you can now come into our Discord if you're a Midnighter level or above. And to do that, you can uh, go into our community post section. There's information on how to join our Discord, or you can email me, midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. That is midnightrad.io101 at gmail.com. Make the subject line new member uh, Discord and let me know what your name is on uh, YouTube, and I'll get you right there in Discord. And tomorrow, for example, with the Murdoch trial, we're going to have a live stream of it in the Discord so people can talk about it and different things like that. A lot of the stuff that I can't come on air with because it's been unverified or it's something that we're working on or the things that the viewers share with me, it's all there in Discord. It's, it's really cool. Also, we have a writing class. that The next writing class assignment will be out tomorrow morning. Thank you guys very much, and until next time when I see you, all my best.